Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan, apparently. How's it going? I'm doing good. I feel great today. You do? Yeah. You feel very sassy? Yes. That's always a very Dylanism to well, be sassy. <laughs> I do feel sassy because you made me waffle and bacon. I did. Yeah, it was very good. We got this kick-ass waffle maker oh my God. that is a restaurant-style waffle maker, so it's yes. like pretty heavy-duty appliance it's definitely industrial restaurant quality uh, yeah well i think it actually it belonged to a chef and he had it and he gifted it to my mom and then she gave it to me oh yeah it's definitely so not it's something perfect. you're gonna find at walmart or something but it's super good those are the best fucking waffles They're so fluffy i love waffles oh my gosh so yeah how are you doing not I'm bad still, I'm, just, I'm still riding high on the waffle yeah you are yeah i'm off all fucked up on waffles. I'm great. I have to say, I'm glad that Super Tuesday is over with, and I'm looking forward to November so we can get rid of all the political commercials and yes. signs and just all the rhetoric. It's just getting old. Right. That's all about all we'll say about it on Mount Murder. But yeah, we just want it to be cleared out and we can not talk about it for a little while. Please. I got a great case for us today. Really? Yeah. Do you ever have times in your life periods where everything just seems to go wrong like you have a series of unfortunate you know events circumstances yeah you're just you're describing my luck well you you joke around you when we got married you were like oh great now you're going to be cursed with the packer luck yeah which means that everything goes to shit all the time but yeah it comes in threes definitely <laughs> And you told me already, but like, look, I'm not sure I want to keep this name. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I already kind of feel like I come from a bad luck spot. So okay. Together, our luck is just terrible. Okay. I right? Think, yeah, I think that's true. So don't put all the blame on the Packers. So at some point, you probably have maybe believed you were cursed, even jokingly. Maybe a black cat stepped in your path or you broke a mirror. I mean, whether you're superstitious or not, bad things happen sometimes. But can you imagine being so convinced that a malicious wish or evil curse had befallen you that it becomes like the focal point of your life? Oh, no, that's probably not good, right? Well, Mountain Murders is going to take you to York County, Pennsylvania for a bewitching tale. <laughs> wow. There's a place called Spring Valley County Park, but before it was given that name, it was known by the ominous Hex Hollow. Well, that sounds pretty creepy. In 1928, a 30-year-old man named John Blymeyer was convinced he was laboring under a curse. Ross McGinnis, in his Trials of Hex, stated, For John Blymeyer, 1928 was not a good year. For as long as he could remember, the years had not been good. His wife had left him. Two of his three children had died. He had great difficulty in staying regularly employed and he wandered aimlessly about the streets of York and the surrounding countryside with the witches he imagined always in pursuit. Well, that's a lot of uh, big, you know, trying events he's been through. The death of his children, multiple children, wife's gone, can't hold a job down, which that affects everything else. You know, stable housing, food, just being comfortable. I feel like he should have been exposed to Hall and Oates, and he could have just sat in a bar with a beer listening to, She's gone! She's gone! Oh, okay. Instead of what he does. Okay. So let's get into this. 
Blymeyer. We have to discuss this guy. John Henry Blymeyer was born into a German farming family in 1894. His parents were Emmanuel and Mary Magdalene. Oh, wow. Isn't that like Jesus' people? It's a biblical name. Oh, okay. It is said Blymeyer was of low intelligence and suffered from health problems from an early age. His condition caused him to lose weight, so he was always a very thin child. It was likely due to malnutrition, but, you know, at the time, didn't really know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not laughing, but there's like, hey, you're, you're sick. That's why you're like that, Blymeyer. And he's like, I just want to eat. Just please let me eat. May I have another bowl of soup, just please? One, just another chrome. Another chrome would be so, so delicious. He wishes he had some gruel. <sighs> this thinness followed him into adulthood. At one point in his adulthood, he weighed like 100 pounds. Goodness. He's a very skinny guy. He was also described as shy, lonely, and twitchy. Oh. Like a twitchy, nervous child. Okay. By 13. Blymeyer had taken a job at a cigar factory. He lived in a series of boarding houses. He also practiced powwow. What is powwow? I'm about to tell you. Many people in central Pennsylvania in the 1920s practiced a kind of folk magic called powwow, which mixed elements of Christianity and European folk remedies. The word hex actually originated in this area in the 1830s from a German word, hex, which literally meant to practice witchcraft. I mean, we have the Appalachian granny witches, you know, that practice like the herbal remedies, holistic medicine. But yeah. This is not so uncommon. Yeah, but that's more of a healer than a like full-blown bowl and bowl. Toil, toil and, and trouble. trouble witch. Yeah. Thanks. Right. The, I said bowl and bowl. I probably shouldn't say that, right? <laughs> Though a lot of people practice powwow and were believers, it was frowned upon as witchcraft and voodoo by others. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say it was practiced in secret, but it was just not widely accepted. And there were a lot of people who attended church and were Christians, and that's what they identified as, as Christian. Oh, but then they would do their little secret things together. But then they would go see the powwow healer, the powwow doctor. Okay. For his cures, remedies, his or her cures and remedies, because women also practice. It seems like voodoo secret done kind of secretively. Maybe it's similar in that respect. Probably. I mean, it's it's known and widely known, but it's like everything seems to be when they do their On little, the DL? Yeah, right. By 18, Blymeyer was living in a boarding house where he met a girl named Lily. She was a 17-year-old daughter of the landlord. The two were married, but the marriage was tumultuous. The couple had lost several children in infancy. Blymeyer was obsessed with powwow and truly believed he had been hexed by someone. In March of 1923, the couple's baby daughter, Josephine, died suddenly. This really sent John over the edge. He consulted with another powwow practitioner who told him he'd been cursed by someone close to him. Believing it was his wife, Lily, his behavior grew stranger and more threatening. Lily believed he would eventually kill her. Oh my God. Fearing for her life, she went to her father for advice. Her father hired an attorney who had Blymeyer involuntarily committed at the state mental hospital in Harrisburg. During this time at the hospital, he was diagnosed as psychoneurotic. He stayed at the hospital from August to September of 1923. During a baseball game on hospital grounds, Blymeyer managed to slip away undetected. John Blymeyer was a fugitive from the state hospital for the insane for over a year. 
Oh my God, they're going to have to get Batman to find his ass. And he was sought after for a year. And at which point, I guess they had some weird law about patients who are gone more than a year or like released from their commitment. Oh, cool. Well, it must be just like we're, we're tired of looking or thinking about this person. The resources are limited. So, yeah, good, good job. You made it. And probably at that time, it was more difficult to track down oh, yeah. persons because, I mean, they didn't have the Internet. Well, you literally have to old school, you know, find question people, find somebody that's seen them or see them with your own eyes. I mean, basically, that was it. Like a private eye with his like magnifying yeah, glass. Yeah, some Pinkerton detectives or something. During this time, Lily had filed for and was granted a divorce. Shortly after his escape from the mental hospital, he showed up at the cigar factory where Lily worked, demanding to speak with her. Once she agreed to speak to him, he pulled a gun on her, threatening to kill her. She was able to wrestle the gun away from him, and he was eventually arrested for assault and battery. Oh, man, she just took his little ass. She just went to it and the gun from him. Yeah, just imagine, like, smacking him through the face. <laughs> like, damn it. Damn it, Blymeyer. Scratch, scratch. After this, Blymeyer seemed to wrestle with finding long-term employment. He continued believing he was cursed, seeking answers from others who practiced powwow. Unable to figure out the source of the curse, he turned to a local woman, a witch named Nellie Knoll, and her nickname was the Marietta River Witch. Oh, wow. She sounds fun. Pretty, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty dope nickname. She confirmed his fears and told him that the author of this misfortune was none other than Nelson Rymeyer, who had once cured Blymeyer of a childhood illness using his powwow magic. Oh, so he cured him and cursed him. Nellie Knoll told Blymeyer that in order to break the curse, he needed a lock of Rymeyer's hair, which he had to bury six feet into the ground. Then he had to burn Rymeyer's copy of The Long Lost Friend an 1820 book of folk magic written by a guy named John George Homan and commonly employed by powwow practitioners. It was like the guide. Right. The powwow guide to cursing people and stuff. This news sent Blymeyer over the edge. He finally knows the source of the curse. Now, do you think this is one of those deals where he had told her about being cured by that guy when he was a child and all that for her to know of this dude? Well, actually, I'll tell you oh, what happened. I'm sorry. When he went to see her, she did a few spells and rituals. And then she gave him like a dollar bill and told him to stare into this candle and then look at the dollar bill for like a period of time. And that the face on the dollar bill would change to the person that had cursed him. Yeah. And he saw Rymeyer. And told her who he was. And, and then she said that's exactly who it is. Ah. Uh. Gosh, so she just let his mind yeah, do it. Yeah, I left all those details out, but... She let his mind, his sick mind do it. Pick the guy out. Okay. Farmer Nelson Rymeyer was married, but estranged from his wife and lived alone. He was an older gentleman who was described as reclusive, odd, maybe socialistic in his politics, and was believed to be one of the best powwow healers in the area. With popularity as a witch doctor, if you will, <clears throat> folks would show up at his home day and night. So just always, hey. 24-7. Hey, Nelson, need your help. I got this bunion on my foot. I've been cursed. Toothache. My soup won't boil. That's a curse. You know, never can have simmered soup. My goats are dying. My goats are dying. My cow sneezes a lot. 
Exactly. <laughs> His wife and two kids had grown so tired of the constant interruptions that his wife moved with the kids to a cabin down the road. So she's just like, yeah, I can't stand that. That would be aggravating. You know what I mean? I can Even nowadays, if you're always just, as soon as you kick back, relax with the family, it's quiet. Two in the morning and get a knock on the door. Yeah. That, a couple hours later, someone else is at your doorstep. Yeah, I wonder if he's making a lot of money off all this healing. No, I don't think so. Mostly the witch practitioners, if you will, at the time worked in barter and trade. Nah. So you like made a donation to them. Okay. So you might take them like a dozen eggs or here is a hen or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I'll come over and help you mend your fence. Yeah. Yeah. His wife's had enough of that. I should also add that Rymeyer was a large, stout man, much more imposing than Blymeyer. Okay. Blymeyer knew there was no way he could ever overpower Rymeyer alone. He teamed up with some young accomplices, John Curry, who was 14, and Wilbert Hess, an 18-year-old. Hess was known to Blymeyer through his father, Milton Hess. The Hess family was a church-going family, but Mrs. Hess had consulted with powwow healers on many occasions for her five sons. So again, one of those, we go to church on Sunday, but on the down low, we're going to see these quote-unquote witch doctors. Yeah, well, that's very interesting, actually, um, that, that there's that um, subculture there right below the church in, in this community in the area. The trio had gone to visit Rymeyer, but he was not at home. The men went next to the cabin of his estranged wife, because as I mentioned, she lived just down the road. And she told them he was probably at the home of the woman he was seeing. Oh man. The three returned to Rymeyer's Hollow. And by this time, it was close to midnight, a light was on inside the cabin. They knocked, and Rymeyer invited them inside. Yeah, his wife's like, he's been healing her three times a week for the last four months. She's got so much health, I don't know what she's going to do. Poor thing stays sick, he has to go over there. She's bursting with health. He has to go over there all times of the night, and he stays for 45 minutes to an hour and a half each time. Damn. And and he really enjoys his profession, because he comes back looking so satisfied and happy. Glowing. <laughs> the four men sat up for hours chatting. Blymeyer was too frightened to reveal his real purpose in coming. Sensing the greater power possessed by Rymeyer and fearing that Rymeyer was able to guess what he wanted. You can't come in a powwow doctor like that, dude. Magical mind reader. Yeah. At last, Rymeyer excused himself and went upstairs to bed, telling the other men that they could spend the night. In the morning, he fed them breakfast and they left. Put, he pushed out. Hess returned to his father's farm. Blymeyer and Curry hitched a ride into York. Blymeyer formed another plan of attack. He was determined to exercise this curse. The two went straight to the hardware store where Blymeyer bought rope. They took it to Curry's room where they cut it into 14 foot and a half lengths. Then they went to the Hess farm where they fetched Wilbert for a return visit to Rymeyer's Hollow. It was the night of November 27, 1928, a clear, full, moonlit night. So does, I'm just trying to, what's the mindset of this 18 and 14-year-old? Dude's like, yeah, I gotta take care of this. I mean, uh, you think you're telling the whole story? Like, I'm gonna kill this guy because he's cursing me? I don't know. Maybe they just thought he was really cool and wanted to be cool, too. Okay. Yeah. 
Maybe. The three broke into Rymeyer's house. The man was asleep, but woke up when he heard the home invasion. Rymeyer called out, asking who was there. The trio stormed into Rymeyer's room, demanding the book. Rymeyer acted as though he didn't know what they meant. He denied having the book, which incited Blymeyer. Blymeyer shrieked and grabbed at Rymeyer. Man, it's a lot of Blymeyers and Rymeyers. Yeah, damn. Hard to hard to say. And Curry and Hess joined in the fight. It took all three of them to hold down this huge, strong man. Curry got out the length of rope and struggled to tie up Rymeyer's legs. Then the three bludgeoned the man, bound him to a chair, and set him on fire, believing it was the only way to destroy the witch. Oh my god. However, Rymeyer's body did not completely burn, despite the fact that they had doused him in kerosene. Rumors circulated that the Hounds of Hell returned to claim one of their own. The fact that the Hex House also survived the blaze was cited as further evidence of Rymeyer's supernatural powers. Blymeyer would later attest that the Hex placed upon him was broken the moment that Rymeyer died. Huh. He yeah. felt free and liberated. Everything started going better for him. Just suddenly did. Got yeah. a really high... You know, a really good job in upper management down at the cigar factory. He was feeling fresh and good looking and better health than ever before. You know, women were singing, children were dancing in the streets. He packed on 10 pounds of muscle on his 100 pound frame. He stepped out looking like Brad Pitt. More wiry than ever. Rymeyer's wife easily identified the three men who'd come by her cabin to talk about her husband, Nelson. She told authorities who, you know, went on to capture the men. The murder was sensationalized, as you can imagine. Just cast national attention upon this area as newspapers all over the country ran stories about the Hex Hollow Witches and voodoo and black arts. Yeah, I'd say that was a pretty good story that caught people's eyes right there. Hexes, curses, witches. And you have to remember, this is the time when, like, spiritualism... Right had been really popular for some time in like the 1800s and into the early part of the 20th century. Yeah. There were people who still consulted with spiritualists. And did seances. Yeah. And all that stuff. Ouija board, palm readers, all of that. Of course, this is like a fascinating, I mean, hell, this would be fascinating today. It would. Really would. Blymeyer and his first accomplice, John Curry, both received life sentences for their roles in the murder while the other accomplice, Wilbur Hess, was given a sentence of 10 to 20 years. All three were eventually released without having served out their full sentences. Blymeyer's sentence was commuted by the governor in 1953. He worked as a janitor until he retired, dying in 1972. Well, damn. John Curry became the best known. His artistic skills earned him a spot as a cartographer on Eisenhower's staff in World War II. Oh, wow. And some of his artwork and paintings hang in the homes of many Pennsylvanians today. But that's not the end of the John Bly Meyer saga. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Are you ready? Is it like as if the story couldn't get any more strange and out there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> On November 11th, 1927, a 16-year-old girl named Gertrude Rudy left her job at one of the cigar factories in town where she worked. There were a couple of cigar factories, it seemed. There was a lot of damn cigars back then. She made her way home around 7 p.m. 
p.m. or so, she told her grandmother she was going to a friend's house, but she'd be home by about 9 p.m. A drunken hobo was walking along the M&P railroad tracks later that evening when he stumbled upon the dead body of a young girl. The victim was Gertrude Ruby. During the investigation, it came out that Gertrude was in love with a 15-year-old boy named Neil Stow. She had confessed to her friend that she was in a delicate condition. Uh-oh, that means he gave her the hepatitis. No? He gave her something. Oh. Which was later was confirmed when the uh, coroner did an autopsy and also a doctor confirmed. Shortly before her death, she had seen the doctor essentially requesting an abortion, which he refused to perform. Gertrude had been bludgeoned, her skull fractured, jaw broken, about four teeth were found on the railroad tracks. She had been shot in the left breast. There was little blood at the scene, so investigators concluded that she had been killed somewhere else and dumped at the tracks. Damn, that's pretty brutal. Some of the hobos claimed to have seen a car in the area just before her body was found, as though someone stopped, dumped her, and then drove away. After the arrest for Rymeyer's murder, police have a suspect for Gertrude's murder in Blymeyer. John Blymeyer lived near Rudy's family in an area known as Bullfrog Alley. Oh, man, that place is awesome. I love those fun names. Yeah, I know. He had worked with her at the cigar factory. On the night of her murder, Blymeyer didn't return to his room at the boarding house owned by the Goodlings until about 3 a.m. He also owned a 1927 Ford at the time of her murder, which was a car that had been described by witnesses. Uh-oh. The Goodlings, the family that owned the boarding house, had a teenage son who told police that he had seen Gertrude Rudy in John's room at the boarding house on several occasions. He recognized her because they had once been classmates. Blymeyer also attended Gertrude's funeral. No evidence tied him to the murderer, but he was considered a prime suspect. Police theorized that Gertrude Rudy had resorted to witchcraft to end her pregnancy. Something had gone wrong on that evening, causing Blymeyer to murder the girl, then dump her body off at the railroad tracks. Blymeyer would claim he did not know Gertrude at all, though others interviewed said that the two had been friendly at work. Oh, I thought maybe he was the baby daddy. I mean, maybe. Oh, okay. When asked why he attended her funeral, he said it was because he was curious about the murder. Oh, okay. That's normal. Gertrude Rudy's case remains unsolved. Ah, so they never... Just never had enough evidence to fully charge him with her murder, but he was always considered the number one suspect. That's crazy. And this That's would have crazy. been about a year before he killed Nelson Rymeyer. Well, yeah. I mean, his uh, willingness to go through with that half-cocked stupid plan, let's be honest, and his really believing in this curse, it's not, it doesn't seem, it, this seems less crazy than that one was, you know what I mean? Not that that's okay to kill a woman and her baby, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was involved. Oh, I should also mention that in some of my research, the newspaper articles dating back to, you know, the 1920s when this occurred, mentioned that when Blymeyer's room was raided and searched, they found multiple naked photos of young women. Oh. The goodling son, the teenage boy who had testified about Gertrude being in his room, 
claimed that Blymeyer had shown him these photos on multiple occasions. Yeah. And would show them to young boys in the neighborhood. Hmm. And they described him as like a sexual deviant. Oh, well. But yeah. of course, that's because, you know, he had this pornography or whatever. But I mean, I guess at the time that made you a sexual deviant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, now when I think about sexual deviants, it's like dark web fetishes or well, something. Well, they got to have equipment and like some really outlandish fantasies. Fantasies about something. like decapitating someone and eating their brain or something. Or allowing, <laughs> offering yourself up to be decapitated. I mean, to me, that's like a sexual deviance. Not, right. I have pictures of naked women. I want someone to cut my penis off and eat, cook it and then we enjoy it together. I mean, can you imagine people of this time period? Today, just Pornhub. The amount of nudie pics that the oh. average person probably has on their cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Just that it's even just person. commonplace to like send a picture of your junk to a stranger. I don't send my 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 guy doesn't get sent out. I don't take pictures of my dick of my genitalia. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I appreciate about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I told you that. Yeah, there's not a when we met and we started like talking and right. dating. I think at some point I said, you know what? I really appreciate the fact that you've never randomly just sent me a picture right. of your junk. I don't, I don't need to see it. And see, here's the thing. And I'm not saying he's not photogenic, guys. I mean, just, just put that out there. Put, he, a, little, put a little sombrero, a little on sombrero, him. maybe a little eye patch or something. But um, just so you know, as my wife. My wife. There's not a bunch of random chicks out there have uh, pictures of my dick. Cool. Does that make you feel better about it? Well, I don't really care either way. Closer? Yeah. Really? Well, no, it just makes me feel like you're a decent person. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And especially unsolicited. I couldn't imagine doing that to a woman or a guy or anybody. Very strange. Yeah. I think I don't know what you get out of that. I mean, how many times... Does that ever work out for you? Like, just some random person's like, oh, cool. You know, I know we hadn't really engaged on a, like, dated or anything like that. On a personal level? Yeah, on a personal level, but... uh, I know I don't physically, like, know you. Right. Like, I've never met you in person. Right. But now that I have this close-up picture of your genitalia, I must say that uh, I'm kind of into you. I think we should date. I just met you, and this is crazy. (laughs) This dick picture. But here's my junk. Yeah, I just wonder if that ever works for him. Yeah, I don't know. No. I've never seen that work. I don't think it works because every woman I've ever talked to or heard talking to other women about it, it's it's not spoken of with any reverence. But when I was a single gal and ended up with some of that, I would either take it and like show it to my friends and we would laugh, or I would take the photo and like would draw little character, like little faces on it and stuff, and then like send it back to the person. <laughs> okay. Be like, fixed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, the so-called Hex House that was set on fire in the aftermath of the murder survived the blaze and still stands today. Oh, so wow. If you're ever up in the York County, Pennsylvania area, it's there. In 2007, <sighs> Rymeyer's descendants opened it as a public museum, featuring displays about his life and death, and of course, Curiosity seekers can be caught traipsing around the property, hoping to catch a glimpse of 
witches rituals or some sort of paranormal activity in the woods oh they want to see some naked witches in the woods well, who doesn't yeah i mean i know what i'm doing this weekend i'm going to yorktown baby oh no i was just gonna be naked oh. in the woods oh you know how i like to do that well we can't do that It'd be a little more cost effective we do have woods and you can be naked pennsylvania's strange magical tradition is still practiced today in 2015, there was a filmmaker named Shane Free who released a feature-length documentary about the murder. If you're so inclined to watch, I found it on Amazon Prime. Really? Hex Hollow, Witchcraft and Murder in Pennsylvania. It features interviews with surviving relatives of those involved, as well as some folklorists and experts in the powwow tradition. Well, I might have to watch that because I'm kind of interested in the, the powwow, whole powwow thing. Years later, I mean, here we are, 2020, some believe that Blymeyer should have not served time in prison for the murder as he was insane and instead should have been treated in an asylum. I mean, this is definitely a case where he was likely suffering from a mental illness. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely something going on. And the more, well, even you just have a, the brain works in certain ways. If you truly, truly believe something, well, hell, it's easy to keep that going in your head and making it, you know, a bigger deal because everything that happens, you can just be like, oh, it's the curse. Oh, it's the curse, you know. So, yeah, I think he definitely. Right. And, but, you know, blaming it on a curse, I mean, that kind of thing prevents you from accepting any kind of personal responsibility for right, your situation. Right. And let's face it, nine times out of ten, even when shit hits the fan and our lives seem really fucked up, it's through choices that we've made that put us there. Right. Yeah, there's right. that chance that something bad just happens to you for no reason. But for the most part, we're active players in our lives and the choices we make and the outcome. Well, definitely. But that still doesn't mean I'm not cursed by the witch. And that's why my tire blew out. Or that's why I was late for work. I know. Who did the Packer family piss off that you have such bad luck? Well, I don't know. It goes way beyond any regional powwow. I can tell you that. I need to exercise this curse. Yeah, I, th I think it predates Christianity. But, you know, he was a criminal. I mean, think about his behavior. He threatened to kill his wife. He ran off from the mental institution. Yeah, and let's be you honest. Know, this guy maybe murdered this teenage girl. Let's be honest. Just to, given when he would have been in the asylums in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, how much treatment you're really going to get? I mean, you know, they just cram you in there and throw some pills at you, right? I mean, how how far had they come at that point? Maybe I'll look into that. Well, I don't know, but at I least think it was still pretty rough. He might have been contained and wouldn't be out committing crimes. Well, I, I just mean, was... I kind of feel like if he had been out on the street past this Nelson Rymeyer murder, he would have killed again. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, uh, prison compared to the asylum, I don't. How much difference was there really between those two? I well, guess, yeah, I get your point. But it would be cool if there was any way that they could do some sort of DNA testing on the Gertrude Rudy yeah. unsolved case. Yeah. To see if it really was Blymeyer. Yeah. But now here we are all these years later. I'm sure that will never happen. No, unfortunately for poor Gertrude. This has been the Hex Hollow murder story. Oh, my God, do you think we can get cursed by talking about curses? No. Oh, my God. No, I'm not going to burn the black candle with your name on it just yet, Dylan. Oh, you got black candles? Well, yeah, you know I do in the kitchen. 
You need to burn them ones for money. The green candles? Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Need some money. <laughs> we can make that happen. I told you, we know what we're doing this weekend. We naked in the woods. Oh, yeah. You better well. So if you're in the woods in the Waynesville area, keep an eye out and be wary. Well, don't tell them where we're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just ruined it. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Mountain Murders. Of course, if you love the show, you can join us on Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. Support the podcast. Find us on Instagram, Twitter. You can follow us there, Facebook. And, of course, you can download the podcast wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. YouTube.